Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. We're back after a pretty resounding victory over Stanford. Uh, this was a interesting game, not a result we didn't expect, but interesting for the reason that Chip Kelly finally made a quarterback change, which I was a little surprised about, if I'm being honest with you. What did you think of that move? Uh, so there's two parts to it, because the word on the street was that Ethan Garbers was going to redshirt. Uh, because he didn't want to just be brought back and just strung along the rest of the way. Like, he wanted that year of eligibility if this was not going to be serious. So the fact that they burned the red shirt for Ethan Garbers tells me that this is not just a flash in the pan. Um, they possibly will stick with this for the foreseeable future, if not the rest of the year. And the way that the game shook out, I mean, it's hard to argue with that because now we kind of we kind of get to the game itself. My main takeaway from this game was that UCLA played competent football. Um, they did not turn the ball over. They did not make mistakes. They did not beat themselves. And the result was that they played a team who did beat themselves and did make a bunch of mistakes, and we won 42-7. And this version of UCLA probably needs the steadying hand of Ethan Garbers more than it needs like big plays and stuff, just at the moment right now, because we've just beaten ourselves too much. We've turned the ball over, given the other team points, um, in a lot of these big games. Now, does this translate to a bigger game? I don't know. I mean, the, the, what, from what we've seen from UCLA so far, evidence would tell you that against teams we're supposed to beat, we'll, we'll do well, and teams that are pretty good, we will struggle. That's just what the evidence has suggested so far. But, I mean, I think it was the right move. Dante Moore was not seeing the field. It probably would have done him more harm than good to just keep going out there and keep turning the ball over. Um, and then he did get a, a nice run at the end, too. Got Got a few passes in. So... Overall, I think the right move, I don't think they would have done it unless this was going to be like there for the foreseeable future. And you can see that, you know, the word game manager is thrown out a lot. UCLA needs a game manager right now, and Ethan Garbers was that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this is going to stick, and it, it feels like it's Garbers' job until he loses it, right? This way, you know, it's kind of in his hands at this point, so if he... he plays he does well he keeps the job he doesn't he unfortunately burns that red shirt but it's kind of on him at this point um that being said i i think obviously the play calling and whatnot from chip kelly needs to improve overall and we can talk about that a little bit in this game but i, I it feels like garbers is good enough to where he can execute this offense especially with extending plays and extending drives we saw that time and time again from him in this game where he would, you know, he had a much better feel in the pocket, and when there was pressure, he would take off. Uh, he was able to escape a few times, you know, for some big chunk plays, chunk runs. Uh, and, and I think that's just something Dante Moore does not possess right now. We did see him scramble for a long gain in this game as well, so maybe there's some improvement there, maybe just sitting there watching Ethan. Uh, will help him improve and learn a little bit, but but it did feel like the right move. I think you you're on you hit the nail on the head there, game manager. And I think honestly, if we have a game manager against Utah, we might win that game. We have a game manager, a little bit more of a game management approach to Oregon State game where we don't turn the ball over three, four, five times. Uh, we might win that game. So it, it it's it'll be interesting to see. Now the flip side is. <laughs> Is there is there much to take away from this game really when you think about who we played and and I will be very blunt here, 
Stanford might be on par with some of the FCS teams we played this year and some of the non-Power 5 teams. Yeah, I think it was proven that the victory over Colorado was truly a flash in the pan. Um, you know, Alec Ionmayor, Ionmanor, sorry. Um, he had a nice game. He had his eight catches, 90 yards, but by no means was it just like a one-man show all the way down the field. The funny thing about this for Stanford, again, is uh, after the first couple drives where they went three and out both times, they showed some signs of, like, competence. Like, they moved the ball a little bit, but every time they did, there would just be, like, a stupid penalty that they committed, like, you know, a personal foul, a pass interference. Um, and and then it would be, like, third and 17 or third and 15, and then they were done. And, again, you, you go back to UCLA didn't beat themselves. Stanford, they just, they just sat back, just did what they usually do and let Stanford make all the mistakes. Let them move the ball a little bit, but hey, they're not good enough to continuously do that over and over again. Just let them implode and that's that's a kind of exactly what happened and you know Stanford had some nice drives like towards the end of the half. They had like a 30-yard drive, a 25-yard drive. I'm just looking at the drive chart right here. Um, you know, turned it over on downs to start the second half. So they found a little bit like here and there, but that was largely by design. UCLA basically said, you know, we're going to sit back and give you four and five yard plays after we built kind of a comfortable lead um, and let you implode. And that's what happened, which is exactly what you should be doing when you play a lesser opponent and you get that big lead. It's like, all right, well, no more life injection. We're just going to squeeze the life out of you. Yeah, the, the amount of turnovers and the amount of penalties that Stanford had was pretty insane, actually. Like, I, um, they were just playing pretty undisciplined for a lot of that game. And, and it wasn't surprising that they ended up losing the way they did because they were playing just, like, I, I, I feel like they had more penalty yard, I think. They had, I did. I know for a fact, they had more penalty yards and rushing yards in this game, and that is a recipe for losing uh, most games. So it's it's hard to really take anything away from this. I don't really know what we want to want to even say more about this game. Like, I, I think we can shout out a couple of guys here, I think, that, that really stepped up and, and showed some flash. Um the first guy that I, I that comes to mind a little bit is Alex Johnson has been playing out of his mind this season. Can we can we talk about this dude for oh, a little yeah. bit? We can. We definitely can. I mean, he is picking off the ball. He is playing good coverage. He is just kind of all over the field playing playing good defense. And for again, this is a great story. He's another walk on guy who earned a scholarship and is is playing out of his mind. I think the other thing that we've, we're, we're constantly kind of seeing now is the Murphy Twins have been playing consistently good football. They're playing a lot more disciplined. Uh, obviously, we, we've been talking a lot about them, but you know I, I've been impressed this season overall with how good they've been. Uh, and then on the opposite side of the ball, it was really good to see our outside receivers actually get some receptions and some targets in this game. Um, Sturdivant, you know, had a good number of balls thrown to him. He had a good game, uh, scored a touchdown. Kyle Ford actually had three catches in this game. I can't think of another game where we've had seen him have multiple catch games. 
so you know having garbers in there kind of helped re-energize some of that side of things some yeah. of the bads in this yeah go ahead yeah i think the other thing you could say about this game in the first half was ucla's commitment to establish the run um because which we didn't actually do that that well which we didn't do that well a little misleading so that's the thing right um and because you're going to the bad i think on this uh i think yeah yeah. you know the, the the good is that we were committed to running the ball we threw that first pass we completed it and then it was like run 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 um until like we didn't anymore and i think that is Again, on some level, maybe some acknowledgement of just what kind of team we have this year from from Chip, like the fact that he's putting in Ethan Garbers and then kind of going back to that style. We all hope is like some realization after seven games of what kind of team you have, but we don't know that until we see it against you know a better opponent. But I think the other side to this is you know the offensive line has gotten just a lot of attention um, from UCLA fans, rightfully so still bad yeah i don't don't know if there was a whole lot to take away from this other than that you know we just we, we had to grind out yards yet again uh, against stanford um and you take that for what it is right i mean stanford's rush defense is not world renowned it's 78th in the country so you know we've seen us against washington state just kind of grind out yards we've seen us against stanford grind out yards so that is a little worrying, you know, when we went, go, come but, up against. But now, I think, and now maybe it is where we're about to go. Like, who do we play the rest of this year that's really going to be a run-stuffing team? Well, well, that's not where I was actually going to go, but we can get there in one second. I, I do want to just point out, like, the play calling. Yes, the, the O-line has been bad, but also the play calling in this game was, was a little weird. Like, I feel like Chip Kelly's enamored with calling these long-developing run plays, uh, where our O-line isn't good enough to actually buy time for that and actually block for that. And so our guys are getting hit a yard or two behind the line of scrimmage at that point. Now give Carson Steele especially um, and, and Harden a lot of credit for making positive plays out of that, which is why we're grinding out these two, three, four-yard runs every every run play. But I, a lot of that's on Chip. Like, he should know that our O-line is not performing at the level to be able to actually run those types of plays. So let's do something a little different, maybe, like that doesn't uh, involve our running back getting hit behind the line. Just a thought. Yeah, I don't we, – we, a staple of our offense has always been inside and outside zones um, and kind of just like your bread and butter runs. I mean, we haven't, we haven't seen kind of the breakdowns and stuff yet from this game on how many snaps we ran that versus others, but but I'm with you. Um, we need to be able to execute kind of the basics a bit more uh, better than, than, than what we, we are because then ideally we build from that rather than like starting off with these like long developing run plays and stuff that just that, that can set us behind the chains. Um, you know, we go to out now next to a team that isn't good at defending the run, that isn't good at defending, really, uh, period. So, and ideally, this is the kind of game that you would ball control, keep their only hope off the field, which is their quarterback. Um, so, I mean, again, positive in that, like, we're trending more towards, I think, the kind of 
personnel we have, but some work to do to see, you know, how much can we hide our offensive line this year? How much, you know, can we make sure that that doesn't lose us a game coming down the stretch? Well, I think that that naturally takes us to the Colorado game, right? We are now coming home. Uh, to a sellout. A homecoming game. To a sellout. They actually yesterday just announced more tarps are coming off. So we're at a 70,000 person capacity. Very exciting. I think last time we saw a crowd this big announced for the Rose Bowl was against uh, Southern Cal last season. And that was a great atmosphere. I was at that game. It was a that ton was fun. of fun. Besides yeah, the game. Yeah, oh yeah, you were also at the game with me. Uh, yeah, besides the game. Um, it, but it was it was an excellent atmosphere. Crowd was into it. And, and I hope this is a, another game where we get that kind of crowd out there. It sounds like we will. Um, there's a lot of hand wringing around. Oh no, all the Colorado fans are going to show up, but I, I, I can't think of a single time, even against Southern Cal, where we are outdrawn by the opposing team. Maybe like Nebraska. Yeah, but the Nebraska games were big enough that like we still drew a pretty decent crowd too. Like yeah, they traveled well, but we drew a pretty good crowd. So I, I, I'm not gonna put much credence into that that worry. I feel like people are um, crying for no reason. I'm I'm actually surprised this is uh, being attended as well as it is, especially after Colorado's recent struggles. Um, pretty shocked by that actually, but yeah, hey, yes and funny. no. I mean, to state the obvious, there is a prime effect to to everything, no matter what what their record is. But I think the the point goes beyond that a little bit. Um, you can see what the value of having a coach that believes in promoting his program and promoting just promoting games and promoting their team. You see what the value of that is, and you see. You mean that, marketing works, right? Like Captain Obvious, right? Like I need a UCLA degree to to like, you know, take care of that. Um, and this is LA, right? The prime effect has reached everywhere. It is at this point, and this is not about the game. This is like a more more macro point, right? Like we've seen teams that were considered to be kind of lower in their, you know, leagues, like power five teams that are lesser than, let's just say, because I don't think it's like a stretch to say that about Colorado. They were, they've been terrible for a long time. And you get a coach that understands the importance of galvanizing the fan base and galvanizing the media and getting attention and such. And yes, it's prime and he can do that better than anyone else can. But you transpose that to LA and UCLA, like that this stuff actually matters, especially in LA where we're the only show in town. So I don't want to hear about all these, you know, um, restrictions on what certain schools can do, right? Like the proof is now in the pudding. If you have a coach that can get the fan base around, that can coach, that can recruit, you can win at any of these Power 5 schools because they're Power 5 schools for a reason. Um, and and the, the sellout, I think, just it should underscore just a macro point there that the, the stuff beyond just coaching X's and O's does matter. And I think it especially matters at a place like UCLA. Absolutely. And, and I think, actually, UCLA is doing a pretty decent job of hyping this game up a little bit uh, for their own sake, right? I mean, it is homecoming. 
we announced for the first time in, I don't know, 10 years, eight years, uh, an alternate jersey, alternate uniforms. So we're, we're pay, pay, yeah, can't speak. We are um, paying tribute to the 1954 Gary Beban-led uh, national championship and the Heisman winning team. Uh, we're, you know, those throwback jerseys are a thing of beauty. I'm super excited to see those on the field. Uh, and so we're, we're creating some hype around it on our end, which I, I really like. It's, it's, I feel like we've been calling for this for a while, right? Like, I understand honoring tradition and keeping, um, you know, our, our historic uniforms and all that kind of stuff, but this, uh, getting an alternate jersey in there gets people excited, um, gets recruits excited if it's something cool. Uh, and this is a great way of, of doing a little bit of both, right? We're, we're paying some tribute to our history as well, um, as well as getting the fan base excited for something new. So I'm, I'm stoked for that. I'm glad that they're doing something a little different this time because it's been, been a very long time since they have. So the actual game itself now, um, Colorado is obviously the darlings of sports, not just college football. And they started off... Well, were. Were. They, yeah, yes, past tense. Started off 3-0, and did something that, you know, no one else could, uh, thought they could do. And they're now 4-3. and three. The, the wheels, the, the, the steam has kind of gone out, out the, the sails, whatever the saying is, right? Um, after, especially after giving up that 29 nothing lead to what we now see as a hapless Stanford team, um, just not very good. So for UCLA, the path to victory seems pretty straightforward, which is, you know, run the ball against a team that doesn't stop the run, um, control the clock, don't turn the ball over, don't give them chances. Where Colorado is dangerous is their playmakers. They got speed out there. They got a quarterback that is very good at finding those playmakers. Um, and so long as you find, you just, I mean, there's, there's many ways to win the game. You can keep them off the field. And then on the other side, Murphy twins, Latu, y- y'all got to go eat, uh, eat, eat like it's a Las Vegas buffet up, out there. Cause Colorado's offensive line is not good. They don't run the ball. It should be, you know, pretty easy to just tee off on the pass rush and not even worry about the run because again they don't run it very well so long as that's that's it right there right hit Shador (laughs) we've seen it already you pressure him they can run around a little bit he's used to getting hit at this point because he gets hit a lot right he is slippery and he can make some plays with those legs but that's I, I think you you called it out right there it's it's get after the quarterback and the main thing is, you know, I, I think the, the ways that this game can go wrong for UCLA, it's obviously turnovers, um, but, you know, that's to state the obvious. Special teams, um, you don't want to let Travis Hunter loose on a, on a big kick return, punt return. Um, and special teams, uh, we haven't given up too many big returns yet this year, but it's not an area that's ever been a really a strong suit for us. So that's, that's a thing maybe to watch out for. And then the only other thing after that would be, you know, just – don't let up on any big coverage busts. Colorado's going to move the ball. They move the ball on everybody. Now, does that translate to points? Does that translate to, like, getting enough points to be able to win? Like, it really shouldn't against our defense. Um, and so, like, so long as you don't give up the big plays, because that's where they thrive, you give them, like, four or five yards at a time, you know, 
eventually that breaks because they do, they do commit penalties uh, sometimes. They do get into like some third and longs, and that's where the, t- the pass rush can tee off. The one guy I am I am scared of is actually you already named him, but it's it's Travis Hunter. I think this is going to be a big test for our um, secondary, actually, because we we haven't played a position group with this much speed. I think this year, like I can't think of a single team where we said, "Okay, these guys are are going to be a huge, huge issue." I know uh, Washington State has a good passing attack. I think. Um, you know, Oregon State has a solid passing attack, but this is not what we we have not seen fast and speed like we we will right now against um, Colorado. And so this is, I think, going to be a big, big, um, big, big test for the secondary, who's been playing pretty well for the most part. But you know, we mentioned Travis Hunter, but you also have other guys like Jimmy Horn who. Who's been very good? You, we saw Omarion uh, Miller against Southern Cal earlier this season, just go absolutely insane. And he's a freshman and speedy and quick and strong. Like they have playmakers on that side of the ball that I think can hurt us. And so this is going to be a big test for our corners and for our our safeties here. And if we can again hit Shador, hit the quarterback, we'll be fine on that front. Like I, if we're we can cut off the supply to those receivers, we'll be fine. I I think when you have the ball in their hands, that's when I'm uh, a little worried about that. Yep, yeah, so I think the game is, again, pretty obvious. If you give Colorado life, um, you know, they, again, Shador Sanders is a baller, no matter how much he's been getting tossed around like a rag doll because his offensive line can't protect him. Um, and, and the numbers kind of go to show it. Uh, the speed is what Colorado has to win the game. Um, we don't turn the ball over and give extra possessions. Like it, it, it would be difficult for us to lose. And that's where our game manager comes in. I think is if Ethan Garbers is kind of steadying the ship still, then we should be okay on the offense. I mean, we've seen him move the ball already, right? Uh, if we can just run the ball, not turn it over, make some plays to our receivers, uh, I think we'll be we'll be in a good spot here. But, yeah, just doing yeah. that should be enough because we are playing against the worst defense in FBS this week. Uh, like, and, and and I mean and I mean the worst. Like, it is 133rd in total defense. Uh, so, the game manager, Chase Griffin, hell, I don't know, but Carson Taylor quarterback. Like, we should be able to be fine. On, on that side so you know so long as you know there's many ways to, to move it on Colorado as we saw you know you could just give it to one guy like Stanford did you could run the ball up and down um, I think we'd belabor this point enough their defense is not good uh, and and we losing this game would be a catastrophe in my opinion uh, I agree I agree um, you you mentioned quarterbacks Colin Schley is apparently not dead. He is practicing this week. He apparently does not have a broken sternum like everyone assumed he did. And 
there's a chance, it sounds like, based on some of the interviews I've seen with players, he might actually make it a game appearance this week. I'm surprised by that, but hey, it's another wrinkle, and we've seen him play at a high level. Like, maybe we see a little more of that against Colorado. So now, I mean, we got to now look at, we have seven, we're seven games in. Um, You know, seven games in, you kind of are what you are, and I think what UCLA has shown, again, is against the good teams, we, we, we struggle, like, and, and, and when we say good teams, like these have proven to be very good teams. Um, Utah, Oregon State have proven to be very, very good teams. Um, and against other teams, we have done very well. If we look at the rest of our schedule the rest of the way, um, we don't have any more world beaters out here. We really don't. What is What does success look like for the rest of the year? Because we're not going to be in the conference race. I think we've belabored like the Chip Kelly era and stuff as much as anyone possibly can. But like, there is a realistic path to ten and two, and there's also a realistic path to eight and four. As I look at this, the rest of the schedule. So, let's look at the optimistic point first. I, I think if we're on a realistic path to ten and two, that could put us in Vegas against presumably Washington at this point. Like, I, I could see that happening because who in the South is going to... Who else in the South looks really good? Utah, I guess? Is so there really you, anyone else? Well, so there's no divisions, right? So you, it's just got to be top two teams. Yeah, and, right, right. And getting a Vegas, I think, is going to be hard because we got... We got Utah has one loss, Oregon State that has one loss, we have two. And Washington has zero losses, right? So so to, the long story of it I, is I think Washington's locked. So Washington I think is going to go and then it's I think between Oregon, Utah and Oregon State. We lose the tiebreakers against Oregon State and Utah at this point unless it was twice more, which I don't see I don't think that's going to happen. So I think Vegas is a real long shot, but hey, if you go six and two in the league, like maybe you leave yourself an outside chance there, right? Um, and I don't think, I mean, going six and two in this league, whatever the schedule is, um, it would be an achievement. It would be progress because we have always, it, it would be a season where we won the games we were supposed to win, and we won the rivalry game, and you know we have we've never done that under Chip Kelly, um, so like that would be you know some positive feelings. I mean, I don't know if this is harsh, but like anything less than that, like it would feel just like we essentially performed to par, like we we made par. Um, If we were to lose to SC this year, I think it would be a little disappointing just given like what it's like. It's the rivalry game. It's the one that makes your bread um, in in the city. Uh, If we were to lose to Arizona, it would signify like yet again, we are losing to a team that we feel like we should be beating. And so like, we're not consistent enough. Um, I don't know, like. This is what I'll say. I would be (coughs) okay, I guess is the word. If we went nine and three with a win over SC, if we went nine and three with a loss to SC, then uh, I would, I would not be happy with that. But nine and three with the rivalry game win, I think 
we can be reasonably uh, happy, I guess. I think there's still going to be a lot, a lot looking back at this season, and we're going to go, what a wasted opportunity with this defense. But I, I think if that is how it plays out, I would be okay with that. Now that third loss can be, I can see to any of these teams. I can see us losing to Colorado. I can see us losing to Arizona. Obviously, rivalry game, anything can happen. I also wouldn't be even shocked if, depending on how that rivalry game goes, we lose to Cal either way. So, yeah, it's... it's um, and then there's Arizona State in there, too, that showed some life against Washington. I wouldn't be surprised if we got had another two losses in there. But I, I think, like I said, 9-3 and three with a win over Southern Cal would be an okay season with this schedule. Yeah, I agree. Um, because, I mean, is, is it that time when we can talk about Southern Cal? Can, can we go there? Oh, yeah. To, to shit on them? Oh, absolutely. That uh, that Utah game was glorious. It was beautiful. Man, uh, I'm just a little... I mean, I know, like, I'm, we're UCLA people here, so we shouldn't be shocked uh, when, when these things happen. But I did not see Utah being able to get enough points to win this game and then I, I thought about it after the game and I was like why do, why would you think that this is Alex Grinch like why would you think otherwise um like Bryson Barnes consistently found good like receivers down the field Utah was able to run the ball with a lot of success and then of course like the story of the game was Sione Vaki the safety who like hasn't really done a, a whole lot uh, um, like consistently on, on, on offense until this game. Um, pretty incredible uh, how like he, he, he was he kind of reminded me of like Miles Jack out there where it was like the defensive player coming in on offense and no one knows like literally what to do with him. Um, because he's just like so dynamic and fast, and like that pretty much is what happened. Uh, yes, he had no idea what he to do with him. He balled out. He really just absolutely obliterated SC, and it was a thing of beauty. the The highlight of him making that cut, breaking the the SC linebackers' ankles, I can watch on repeat, like every day for the rest of my life. I'd be happy watching that. So once it, like, a couple of things, like, first I think we talked the football about this game. Um, I, I don't understand why SE has this, like, they just refuse to run the ball. When they run it with success, they just completely refuse to run it. Like, Marshawn Lloyd had a fumble, and then that's it. They, they threw him in the doghouse, and, and he was he was done. But at that point, he'd had seven rushes for, for 86 yards. Like, what are we missing here? Austin Jones ran with some success, but he only ran the ball five times. I, I mean, we, talk, we talked a little bit about this, I think, when they lost to Notre Dame. 
it's they have this guy who won the Heisman last season, and Lincoln Riley is obsessed with him. I I think it's really that simple when you look at it. Like they, everything runs through Williams, and I don't know why. I I think he's he's playing himself. He's I think already played himself out of Heisman contention at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's done. But that's all done. I, I that's that's over. But it almost feels like he's playing himself out of like, you know that top pick contention at this point I think he's showing a lot of flaws in his game he's you know off, there's some off the field stuff we can talk about nothing criminal or anything but stupid things um, that he's been doing and saying uh, in in addition to the the actual play on the field but man it, it's the 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 meltdown has been glorious from him I mean I I just I don't know why Lincoln Riley is choosing to just go down with the ship here because he's not playing at the level that, you know, he can play at. We've seen him play at before. But also they're playing better defenses now, and so they're just not running a, a balanced offense in in reaction to that. They're just trying to do what they've been doing with flashy, uh, pass-heavy offense, and defenses know what's coming, and... They're stopping it, like plain and simple. Yeah, once again, the ability for teams to just play press coverage and lock up on receivers is is so stunning to me. Um, just having watched Lincoln Riley teams for many years, I, I I say this week after week right now, but like yet again, I mean, Todd Washington had a good game, um, but by and large, like these guys don't get open with much consistency. Um, 34 attempts for 250 yards or so. Uh, that is not what you would expect out of Caleb Williams, for sure. And the offensive line, like, obviously they're playing terrible, but it, the personnel isn't that terrible. They they got some transfers in. They have talent there. They have a couple of like, guys that are going to be playing at the next level. The thing is kind of a train wreck. Uh, like, I, I don't know where it came from I, I'm, I i don't know how this happened quite because like the defense is the defense like i shouldn't have been surprised that utah was able to get yards against them because utah is a well-coached team um kyle whittingham has had success against sc and they will find a way to put their players in position to succeed because alex grinch just sucks um in a way that that notre dame wasn't able to because like they don't really move the ball on anybody so like that shouldn't have surprised me. But the other side, again, I, I, I'm stunned at how this is happening. And this, is, I think, is now where we go to the next part of this with all the attention on the the media stuff, right? So to put it out there, um, Lincoln Riley uh, attended the post-game presser, but SC did not make players available after the game. Um, Soft. Right. And, and this week, Lincoln Riley skips his like uh, midweek media show. Like, you take that... Sick, apparently. Yeah, apparently he's sick. Like, you put that... Soft. ...with, like, banning the reporter earlier and, like, stopping NFL scouts from attending your practices. And, like, in a microcosm, each one of these things, that you could probably brush it up. Oh, whatever. But there's something going on here. Like, the leadership on this team just doesn't seem like it's as strong as it should be. Like, you should always have a set of, like team leaders or captains or whatever it might be 
that know how to go out there and handle the media after a loss. But like, is there something going on to where they're scared that's going to get out? Like, is that what's what's happening here? Is is someone going to come and say like, well, we're not running the ball enough because even though like Marshawn is getting having success, like, is that what they're worried about? I don't know. It, the whole thing feels like their priorities in the wrong are in the wrong spot. But really, like, the leadership on the team is what I kind of bring focus to because it's a standard practice for a player for players to come out and talk after the game. What's what's shocking to me is that you have a Heisman winning quarterback on the team that's displaying zero leadership and is not able to come talk to the media. That is that is wild to me, especially a guy who's literally plastered all over commercials and advertisements and, you know, is this allegedly charismatic guy. How how is the NFL looking at this? You're looking at a guy who is, you know, allegedly vying for that number one pick spot, who can't take any heat after you lose, who, you know, is making all these stupid demands on the, um, from, from teams drafting him saying, Hey, I want ownership stake. Uh, I want to go these X, Y, Z teams only, but not these teams. So don't even bother drafting me the dumb nails thing that he's been doing for multiple years that's come back to bite him in the ass every time. I, I, this is not a guy who's a leader. <laughs> like You would think this would be the guy leading you on and off the field, regardless of whether you're winning or not. At this point, Like that's the guy you should be turning to as a player. Um, that's who you would expect to step up. But, you know, Caleb Williams is not done any of that it's it's actually pretty surprising uh with how bad he's been on that that side of things and as a quarterback I feel like that's a key key kind of intangible that you need to possess to be a good quarterback in the NFL and and even in college so the fact that and the fact that Lincoln Riley is running everything through him but also not trusting him enough or giving him the ability to go out there and speak to the media um I don't know it's just it's a bizarre situation I think between him and Williams and this whole program and now there's a lot of buzz you know coming out like oh um Lincoln Riley didn't you know put this donor event or attend this donor thing or you know um organize this event that generally the head coach does all kind of popping up now in the media it feels like a very calculated media blitz against Lincoln Riley from probably some big donors in the uh, Southern Cal community and I'll be honest I'm all for this I am enjoying every single minute of this implosion like it is absolutely gorgeous and hilarious I I'm eating this shit up yeah there's this other point that um so, so I, I listen sometimes to, to, to Colin Cowherd's college football stuff. I, don't, I disagree with some of it, but, but I just appreciate the fact that a national um, you know, show host covers college football. So I listen to his stuff. He's a big SC fan. He's a big SC homer. But he illustrated this point this week, how um, you know, the guy that the SC fans love to, to glorify and talk about, Pete Carroll, right? Uh, Cheaty Petey, as we call him understood the importance of the, the media and the role that they had to play, especially in Los Angeles. Um, and so, you know, his practices were Say open. Say Oklahoma anymore. 
Right. I mean, his practices were open. Um, NFL scouts were always welcome to come. Uh, they made practices and attending USC things an event, an event uh, where it was like this fun thing to be around. Now, it helped that you had Ray Malaluga and Reggie Bush and Brian Cushing and all these great players that just crushed everyone. Like that, that certainly helps. But it, it, it was this event. It was this. It was. A, it felt like a pro environment in, in L.A. around a college team, and, and Pete Carroll just got that. For Lincoln Riley, again, like you said, this ain't Oklahoma no more. You lose two more games right now, and you've alienated the media. You're getting thirty thousand in the stands next year for your opening game. Like that's that's the con- there are consequences here. The media has a role to play, and. Again, like I said this last week, at Oklahoma, this stuff would have been taken care of for him. Um, the, the school does a lot of media training for their athletes um, in every sport. Every pro player everywhere gets media trained. It's known kind of what protocol is after a loss that, hey, these are the people that are going to go speak and they're going to essentially say these kind of things. Like there's training that goes into this, which is good for the players. Like imagine Caleb Williams next year. He's going to be on a bad team if he does go pro. And, like, he's going to take a lot of L's. Like, if he goes to the Bears or something, right? Like, that's not going to be a good team. He said he's not going to go. He's going to pull an Eli Manning. Sure, if he does, whatever it is. Like, he's not going to be somewhere that's good. So, like, he's going to have to talk. He's not going to be number one overall. So, like, he's going to have to talk after, like, losing a bunch of games next year. Like, where's the training to get him ready for that? Um, And even the stuff about, like, Caleb Williams' image and, like, you know, the stuff that his dad says and all the demands and all that – I'm, I'm at Oklahoma. That stuff would not have happened because the players are 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 basically put in a shell to where like no one can be bigger than the program. And I'm not sure Lincoln Riley appreciated any of this uh, when he was there. He's getting exposed to it now. He's seeing that the job of a head coach is a lot more than just like coaching offense. It is setting a culture, managing big donors, managing media, and you know. All that stuff was taken care of for him. The foundation was rock solid uh, in his previous employer, and it's not here. And now, could he change? I don't know, right? But we're basically seeing a coach that doesn't know how to handle that stuff. Um, and it's it's showing on the field. And it's not getting any easier for SC, which is why, like, we had really freaking better beat them this year. There's some there's some parallels with him right now to Chip Kelly actually in the sense of how he's handling media. You know, Chip Chip has been pretty prickly overall, right? But he's never kicked anyone out. He's never, you know, made practice fully closed. I know he he pretty strict and limits a lot of exposure and controls all of it, but it's it's been interesting kind of watching Lincoln Riley kind of implode on that front as well. Like we thought Chip was bad with the media. Now this guy comes in and just puts on a complete clown show this season when things get bad. It's 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 pretty wild to me. And the the, the funny thing about this is I know there were already reports when they were winning around, hey, uh, is, is Lincoln Riley going to get some NFL looks? Uh, and then we started getting reports that he was kind of starting to reach out to NFL teams they keep losing or keep struggling like he might be going down with the ship and not actually have NFL interest if he kind of exposes himself uh and and Southern Cal might be forced to either fire him or stick with him well they paid him 120 million dollars so 
firing so, yeah f- firing him would be a very expensive endeavor if they want to go down that route i mean i don't think that's where this will end up going I, so right now they're eight games into the season you are what you are um in college football there's only so much improvement that takes place from here and they're staring down the barrel of you know washington at oregon ucla in their last three games um this can go to seven and five. This could go to nine and three. Um, I don't see it getting to ten and two. I don't see how they went out uh, with that schedule. But again, like th- there are consequences to this. If you even go nine and three and you've alienated the media and the process, and next year you don't have Caleb Williams, like get ready to see some empty seats, buddy. Like get ready to see some like pretty low buzz around your team, because hundred oh, percent. Because that's how the stuff works in LA. Um, like this is not Lincoln, Nebraska. This is not Lubbock, Texas. This is not Norman, Oklahoma. There are a lot of advantages to being in LA, but it does come with some some responsibilities. And if Lincoln Riley, my guess is going to be sniffing around for for some for some NFL jobs, um, would just be my guess after this season. And and we'll see kind of where that all goes. Oh, I I. I hundred percent think he's he's already sniffing around. There's there's already been smoke around that, right? So there's there's no way he's not. If if SC does end up keeping him, which is a big possibility, of, like you mentioned, they paid him a boatload of money here. It's it's got to be with the contingency to to fire Alex Grinch. Well, I, this is I don't where... understand how he, he still is employed. I'm all for it. Like, I think they should fire Lincoln Riley and promote Grinch to head coach. I, I will actually donate money uh, for that cause. Bruin Source will, will pay awesome. Alex Grinch's salary. We will uh, find I a way. I don't know about that. Uh, well, if, it, if his salary is like $5 a, a year, sure. That's, that's basically what he's worth as a coach. Yeah, I mean, we might have, again, a, a Chip Kelly-like situation here on our hands. Um, a coach that is very offensive-minded. I mean, no, 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 okay, like, to not go overboard here, I consider Lincoln Riley still to be one of the better coaches that are young coaches that are out there. I don't think that SC will be firing him in the near future. Um, but is this – there is some potential of, like, you know – dysfunctionalism if that's a word i made it up that's it's a word now um there is potential for dysfunction going forward with this because like similar to chip kelly you know a coach that isn't interested in doing the other aspects of his job um a coach with the media and with donors and boosters and such a coach that probably doesn't want to be told what to do um because because if he did like alex trench would be long gone but he's not. He's still here. And he's probably not going to take very well to being told that he should be gone next year. And he'll make a bunch of excuses up. It's similar to what Chip was doing with Jerry Asnaro for so many years. And then finally, like, you know, it was like pulling teeth to get him out of here. So who knows where, where, where this goes? Um, obviously, his approach to recruiting is much different. His approach to uh, you know, getting players in is far more aggressive than than Chips was, but the rest of this kind of has a Chip-like vibe to it. Coach that wants to do it his way. 
and not always for the better for the program and, and not and, and without an administration that knows what good looks like well that's a that's a discussion for a different day what a mess they are as a school but <laughs> well we'll talk about that another time but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, they close out the season, especially in a, in a few weeks where we actually go up against them. Uh, I'm looking forward to um, hopefully getting that, that that coveted W over them this season, especially with, uh, with how they're looking. So we'll see. Um, I think I think that's all we have for you today. Uh, again, if you're if you're in Los Angeles, get out to the Rose Bowl for this game. Should be a great crowd. Should be a great atmosphere. Great kickoff time too. Four thirty p.m. Should be a nice day. Great for tailgating at the Rose Bowl. Uh, and you know, as always, please follow us on X slash Twitter slash whatever it's called. Uh, we can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the podcast platforms. And uh, share with your friends, share with other Bruin fans, whoever likes college football. Give us a shout if you like what we're, what we're doing out here. And uh, until next time, hopefully we will be back next week with a uh, game game recap of a big W over the Buffs and Coach Prime and as always go Bruins go Bruins